listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 66, covering The Child and Where Silence Has Lease. Hello, friends. It's season two time. Season two. And it's yellow shirts, new ladies. Worf and Geordi where they're supposed to be. Just everything's finally fallen into place. Riker's beard. Riker's beard, you guys. Bearding it up. We were we were hoping to have our, our pal Jesse on, who is a noted Riker's beard enthusiast. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we couldn't make the uh, the scheduling happen. She will be here soon. We'll try to pick a, a Riker-tastic episode for her yes. to uh, to drool over. Because uh, he's a good-looking guy. I, I, I'm not afraid to admit that. Yeah. And uh, we we need someone on to really emphasize that because we've done a lot of drooling our own selves over yep. over the ladies, and uh, it feels only fair. Uh, and and to her credit, this wasn't like it was the first appearance of Riker's beard, but neither of these are particularly Rikery episodes. We should no. we should bring her on when he's got sort of center stage. So yeah, we'll do that, and we'll have a if, great time. I'm if sure. If we're feeling particularly cruel, we'll give her shades of gray. Uh, no, Adrian's already uh, called dibs on that. I guess he's going to be the guy who comes in at the end of every season. I don't know. I'll find that. I suppose that's all right too. But uh, also, you know, because it'll be fun to to do the horrible uh, flashback episode. I think that's yes. what he he wanted. Uh, but before we get there, we have to start with all the the myriad changes that came with with the season premiere, The Child. So, Matt, why don't you tell the people what happened there? All right. So while flying around space looking for the AWOL Dr. Crusher, the Enterprise encounters a magical green light speck, which promptly flies up Counselor Troy's hoo-ha and turns into a baby. Everyone's pretty surprised by this, especially Riker, who hasn't been near since she stopped pinning her hair up in that way that he, that he likes so much. Meanwhile, changes are afoot on the Enterprise. Geordi's been promoted to chief engineer with all the yelling about engines that that entails. Worf's officially head of security, which means he does exactly what he's always done, except Tasha's not around to agree with him. Dr. Crusher has apparently disappeared Larry Earnhardt's style and been replaced by the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and Whoopi Goldberg has opened a bar at the front of the ship that lets Wesley in for some reason. Oh, and Riker has a beard, so he finally looks like Riker, not a model for chinderwear. Troy eventually gives birth later that day to a boy whom she names Ian. Ian's aging is pretty weird, but the Enterprise crew is a little distracted as they're on a mission to pick up a shipment of extremely, of every deadly plague in the universe from the extremely fragile deadly plague container planet. <laughs> Meanwhile, Wesley is sad because he is leaving the Enterprise to search for his mother among the stars, and also because it means he will miss the huge party that's apparently being thrown down in 10 forward. Elsewhere, Picard is distracted from planning his good riddance to Wesley party to learn <laughs> Ian is now, like, eight years old. And we learn the, the, the yeah. and we learn the incredibly disturbing news that Picard has never played with puppies, which explains a lot. <laughs> Fragile container full of deadly plagues starts threatening the leak, and everyone's really worried. Ian realizes that he is giving off deadly fragile container shattering radiation or something, so he dies after explaining to Troy that he was a curious alien who wanted to see how humans worked, so he allowed himself to become one to experience it. And then bailed before adulthood, which I honestly think I wish I had thought of. Uh, finally, the good riddance to Wesley party is cancelled when Wesley decides that he's not terribly interested in where his mother went. Picard sh- cheers himself up by playing with puppies. Uh, we should state that Picard didn't actually play with puppies. As as far as we know, he's still a puppy virgin as of this point. It's so sad. <laughs> nice punchline to end on. I don't mean to, to undermine that, but... Well, it was that or no trouble at all, and frankly, I'm not interested. <laughs> where it was no puppy at all. <laughs> if given the choice between tribbles and puppies, I will go for puppies 100%. I, well, yes, probably, probably you're right. Puppies are awesome. Tribbles are boring. 
Triples are also awesome, and they make that little cooing noise, but there is the whole, you know, reproduction factor, which yeah, brings us do. back nicely to the the theme of this episode. Yeah, which is awful babies appearing from nowhere. Yeah, why don't you... Every, what, every parent's nightmare. <laughs> why do babies suddenly appear? That should have been the title of this episode. <laughs> well, what, what are your good thing and bad thing? Uh, my good thing here was a lot, of, a lot of changes for the better this season. That the Enterprise crew becomes, well, the actual Enterprise crew oh, that yeah. we've been waiting to show up. We get an appearance by Chief O'Brien, so everything's really coming together now. Yeah, and, and Chief O'Brien, like he's the transporter chief. He's down in the transporter room. They call him Chief. Like he's yep. he doesn't have a name yet, but he's getting there. Like yeah. you, you can clearly tell. Um, actually, I, I may have mentioned this. Our friend Ed Casey had asked me to recommend some Next Gen episodes to him. And I give him a bunch, and he's like, did you just give me all O'Brien episodes? I'm like, well, not intentionally, but he happens to figure into many of my favorite episodes before he leaves. And Chief O'Brien rocks. And what I realized is if you're just watching Chief O'Brien episodes, you can really see the gradual progression of how the producers sort of fell in love with Cole Meany. Yeah. Because each time he appears, they give him a little bit more. Like, next time we see him, he'll be Chief O'Brien. And the next time we see him, he'll be Miles O'Brien. And then, you know, how much how much Brian is in this season? Miles, Miles O'Brien. O'Brien. Uh, that's not, I, I think, uh, someone wrote to us with that joke already, so. Yes. That's unfortunate. I wish I'd thought of that, but I hadn't. <laughs> you will, Oscar, you will. Um, and then, and then his horrible wife, but I mean, they keep adding details, which is great. You just, mm-hmm. you love that this guy starts out as basically an extra, and then uh, he's what they build the spinoff around, more or less. Yeah. Which is fantastic. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, and as you say, so many things where they belong now. And we've yeah. we've been saying that as season one progressed. But here, it totally feels like we're watching an episode of Next Gen and like not some weird prototype pilot that never aired. Yeah, like season one was rough. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were waiting for it to feel like Next Gen. And it, that's finally started to happen. Well, characters where they belong, characters looking the way they're supposed to yeah. look. Even Wesley's not in that rainbow uniform anymore. He's wearing a uniform that looks sensible, yep. like a cadet uniform kind of thing. Um, I don't know what the hell's going on with his hair, but... Uh, uh, it, was, it was, like, what, 1990? Uh, season 2 would have been 1988-89, so yeah. yeah. So, you know. Yeah, I suppose so. But nobody else, nobody else apart from Troy occasionally has particularly ridiculous hair, though. Mm. I mean, most of the dudes have just a normal dude haircut. Sure. Um, but Apparently no, that, Troy's hair exploded between seasons. Yeah. Jesus. I don't know. I like it in the bun and I like it curly. Like I just, mm-hmm. she's pretty. I've said it before. Yeah. She's pretty. Unfortunately, that's pretty much all she is. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, we'll, we'll cover that. No, I just, I think like we've said, everyone where they belong, Jordy down in engineering and the right uniform and all that, that's good. But it's more than that. It's the directing. The camera angles aren't so weird anymore. The music's getting less stupid. Like yeah, all, there's less syntho crap. Yeah. There's still some. Yeah, I remember one of the episodes I've watched a lot is the um, the Q episode where he throws them to the Borg, which is season two. And there's a lot of, like for as great an episode that it, as that is, there is still some weird sort of John Carpentery synth music. Well, that's that's made by Q sitting his keyboard. Yeah, or you know, uh, Data's cat jumping up on the keys. And, uh... <laughs> he but is no, a pretty cat. You can't take that away from him. I will feed him. <laughs> No, there's there's just a lot of a lot of like production elements, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that looks better. The lighting and the the makeup looks better. Like mm-hmm. Wesley doesn't look doesn't look like a girl. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't look like somebody turned a little boy into a geisha. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the actors. I mean, 
we said this from the beginning. They they seem to have found their characters pretty quickly, but even more so now. The chemistry is way smoother. Yep. And just everything feels more more like this show and less like they're trying to be like the original series, which is good because it's 20 years after the original it, series. And, it is, and these are all different people. Yeah, it's a different kind of story. It's, it's Everything's different, and it feels like that. That said, this the 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 Troy plot was recycled from uh, the unproduced uh, Star Trek Phase Two spinoff. Yeah, so there is still some residual. Which uh, is why uh, Pulaski is basically Bones. Yeah, she's girl Bones. She's and <laughs> all they did was do a find and replace for Pulaski. You know, for Bones, changed to Pulaski. Mm. Uh, what about your bad thing? Uh, my bad thing is Ian's stupid hair. Who looks like that? It's ridiculous. Yeah, he's like a white guy with an afro. I mean, who has yeah. hair like that? It's goddamn ridiculous. I know. It's just, and it's unbelievable. I mean, in a sci-fi show, you should have something that's kind of grounded, and that's just, mm-hmm. it's completely. Yeah, I don't buy it. Unbelievable. Matt has hair like that. Sorry, this isn't a visual medium. I just want to make sure that joke landed, Matt. I'll just put a big picture of me on the cover. There you go. Uh, for me, the good thing, um, well, there's a lot to like in this one. Many of the familiar pieces falling into place, as we've said. A couple of new supporting characters I'm rather fond of, and Matt apparently is not. I don't like Pulaski. No, you don't like Pulaski, and you don't like Guinan. Nope. I think what this show needed was strong female characters, and we got two of them. And I'm happy with that. You are not. Nope. This will be an ongoing debate, I think, through season two, is I like Pulaski a good deal, and you do not. I also think Guinan is every bit the counselor that Troy should be. That I agree with. She, whenever someone has a problem, they come down there and she handles it really nice. She makes them answer their own question, basically. Whereas well, Troy's just like, I'm sensing that you're upset about something. Well, I just came to tell you that I'm upset about something. Thank you. I and what? had a baby. Why do you sound like Nick now? Because I can only do like three voices. <laughs> uh, to, but ignoring the Troy plot, which I'm what trying to happen. <laughs> what would become of me? <laughs> So ignoring the Troy plot, which I'm trying really hard to do, the remaining two-thirds of the episode has a lot to recommend it. Mm. Uh, but I'm actually, my actual good thing, is, I'm going to choose a Wesley moment, since I was kind of remiss in pointing these out last season like I promised. This was a good Wesley episode. He has a genuine emotional arc, and he handles it like a grown-up and not like a whiny little jerk. And if I were in his position, I would have made the same decision. The best way to see the universe is through the windows of the Enterprise. Mm. Uh, go off and be with your mommy, or... Pursue your career on the coolest ship in the Federation. He made the right choice. Yeah. No, like, we we don't like Wesley, but this is, like, important. Like, this, he, them this, taking Beverly off the show and leaving Wesley on is makes a really much important character. Yeah, it makes him much less of a mama's boy, and he has to be, he's forced to be independent. And yeah. the he didn't annoy me in either of these two episodes. He was written the way I think he should be written, which is a little precocious, a bit of a nerd, a bit of a, you know... A bit of a know-it-all, but not arrogant. Mm-hmm. And uh, de-emphasizing the he's a child thing and emphasizing he's a junior officer. Yeah. That's Which the way to make him interesting. Yeah, absolutely it is. And you take him seriously that way. Plus, moving Jordy off the bridge means Wesley can sit in that spot and there's a reason for him to be there. Yes, exactly. They don't have to keep contriving plot reasons for him to be in it. He's part of the cast and he's there with the cast. That yeah, makes he's there every day now. Right. Which makes much more sense. Now you have Data and Jordy, or uh, Data and Wesley up there. You have uh, Picard, Riker, and Troy there. You have Worf back there. And when you need Jordy in, he can just transfer engineering up to the bridge. So it, mm. everything's, you know, everybody can be in the same place if they need to be, which yeah. is good. It's all coming together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and my bad thing, uh, right. How's about Troy being raped by a comet and nobody really caring all that much about that? Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. And as much as we, we're talking about all the great stuff in season two and how about 
two-thirds of this episode is either about the plague stuff or about what's new in season two. The rest of it is about this. It's about a comet shows up and knocks up Troy, presumably, as Matt says, in her hoo-ha. Well, I mean, there's a scene right at the beginning where this little, like, Tinkerbell dot shows up on the Enterprise, and it's cruising around, and it flies under her blanket. You can sort of see it moving up Mm -hmm. and then disappears around the hoo-ha area. Yep. And, you know, I mean, I guess it could have gone right into her tummy, but I doubt it. Uh, I'm pretty sure it just knocked her up. mm Mm-hmm. And it, God. It's not pleasant. Well, but here's the thing. Counselor Troy, this is the first of several times where her part in the plot is to be violated in some way. Yeah, it's not cool. She gets physically raped, I think, another time. And she gets mentally raped because she's the telepath. People are always bursting into her mind and just violating her in a very intimate way quite a lot. And it's just like, you know... I realize we've taken a bit more of a feminist slant that you might expect from two dudes who are drooling over chicks in miniskirts. Mm-hmm. But really, having a woman character who's primarily there to have feelings and get raped is not cool. No. Fucking knock it off. And Matt, this is why I prefer Pulaski, because she does neither of those things. That's true. And she's not, you know, it's like Crusher went away and they still needed a hysterical mom, so now it's Troy's turn. Let's give her a baby, why not? <laughs> wow here's the thing if we want to get crude for a minute which what the hell why not why not they make a point in sick bay after she gives birth of mentioning that uh, her vagina is not all stretched out now mm-hmm. like that's a that's an important thing to remember no she's still tight it's cool wow jesus really i i just love that like, Worf brings his security team down because they're not sure what the hell they're actually going to be dealing with. Well, and I think that's that's fair. It seems ridiculous, but really, it is an alien force on the ship. Who knows? Yeah. But, I mean, like, Worf walks in, and he's just basically staring right down yep. her trench. And, and the, the, the shot is framed so that you got kind of the stirrups, and then Worf's sort of in between them. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know what, Worf? Lock on uh, this door or something? No. No, because then, because then, about halfway through the birth scene, Riker sort of sidles up like he's been there the whole time. Yep. We didn't know it, but hopefully she did. Uh-huh. Just hiding behind a plant or something. I don't no, know. She doesn't either, because she like when he comes up to her, she's like, "Oh, have you been here the whole time?" Oh, uh, right. So what? You couldn't sense him? Nope. With your sensing senses? Well, I mean, in her defense, she was a little busy. Yeah, but that's the thing. It didn't hurt. They said. And, you know, her her vagina didn't get stretched out. Again, they said this in the plot. I'm not fixating on this. They said it, which I thought was a weird thing for Star Trek to, to even mention. Yep. I guess it's important to know that when she sleeps with other people, it's still going to be pleasant for them. I don't know. Well, yes. Um, I, I, she experienced no pain. She it was, just, it was effortless. So I don't think she was that distracted. I'm still not sure why you can't just beam a baby out of someone now. Uh... I I think that probably wouldn't be the best idea. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Just think, there's got to be a way, right? Well, I mean, it would be is basically an elaborate C-section, I would imagine. Yeah. Although when you're doing a C-section, you have to you do have to sever some things. You know, you cut the umbilical cord, and I assume I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, you could do, easily do. You could easily like only beam half the umbilical cord. I suppose that's true. I honestly don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe we just haven't seen that. Well, yeah, because in that Deep Space Nine, which I thought was a super contrived thing in Deep Space Nine, where they have to beam Keiko's baby into Kira. Yeah. So they can beam a living fetus and keep it alive. Yep. Into another uterus, which made no sense, but whatever. 
basically that was their way of saying, uh, well, uh, the, the chick that plays Kira got pregnant and we don't want the character to get pregnant. So here's a way to make that happen. Yeah. Kind of dumb, but whatever. But we know yeah, the technology they made, exists. They made it work as well as anything. They did. The setup was stupid, but then the payoff was fine. Kira does not need kids. No. <laughs> old Brian can have them and stick them with his horrible wife. <laughs> horrible wife and horrible children. Yep. I actually don't don't hate his first child, uh, Molly. Molly. She's kind of cute. Her second child, or his second child, Yoshi, is named after a dinosaur. Yeah, that one's less good. Yes. Goes around the ship eating eggs and things. I guess it didn't eat eggs. I guess it came from an egg. I guess it just ate everything yeah, else. Laid eggs that had mushrooms. Right. Because that makes sense. Sure. As much sense as anything. Anything in Mario. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, just that whole, the whole thing of Troy just being a vessel. And that's all she was. She was, and there's a scene in the ready room, or not in the ready room, in the conference room, where they're all meeting and Pulaski's explaining what happened. And there's like a display of the, the, like big, the like fetus. Shot of fetus. Right. Which is great. They have, you know, uh, in utero uh, webcam technology in the 24th century, which is yeah. fantastic. Yep. But yeah, those webcam girls are going to start really early in the future. <laughs> well, there was that wave of, you know, miniaturization cameras in like the late 90s, early 2000s, when people realized that porn could be shot from that POV. And then everyone realized that's a horrible idea. We really don't want to do that. Oh, no one wants to see that. No, but briefly, that was a thing. You had, like, the, the vagina POV cam, which is, you know, just wow. lovely. Yeah. That's the worst thing ever. Yeah, but, you know, that's the thing. When new technology is introduced, uh, porn is the first people to usually play with those toys. And uh, I guess in the 24th century, that's probably still true. Mm -hmm. The first replicators probably were tested by porn. First transporters. Just, you know, why not? I want to beam a guy directly into this girl. Sure. Um, but uh, there's this whole scene where they're, you know, they're at the conference table and they're talking about the options. First of all, uh, kudos to them for just coming out and saying the word abortion and not shying away from that. And cause you know, j particularly under Jean's watch, mm -hmm. there is a real sugar coating of certain things. Yeah. There's no, uh, in Jean's visionary vision. Well, I, I'm not even, I definitely don't want to get into the politics of it or anything like that, but I'm no, saying God, no. to say the word. To just flat out say the word in in a show in 1988 is fairly ballsy, I would say. Yeah. And to have it as a concept, as an option, like and like not even something they dwell on. It's just it sort of comes up and then you know they move on. Yeah. And Worf, as he always does, says, "Let's kill it," because that's what Worf is for. Yep. But uh, can but fire a photon torpedo directly into Troy. <laughs> but there, there's a bit where she's way at the other end of the table. And if not for Pulaski, it would just be a bunch of dudes at the other end yeah. talking about, talking about what's to be done about this what baby. to do with her baby. And it's just like, wow, really? Come on, you guys. We could probably do better than this. Uh, they can't. Not with her, they can't. So that that that's just all unfortunate. And then yeah. I think before we before we move on, we need to talk about Mustache Man. The the head, I don't know if he's an engineer or a medical guy, but the guy... He must be a medical guy, because like, he's in charge of all diseases. But he's in charge of the containment of of this, um, of these, uh, what do you call it? The super fragile container. Right. But no, the, uh, the, the, uh, God, the serum. I gotta get that serum gotta through. Get that serum. The, uh, I cannot think of the word. Let's move on. <laughs> the inoculations, the, the, um, yeah, the shots, whatever. The vaccine. Vaccine. Thank you. Jesus. 
It's like I had a stroke. <laughs> Vaccine is not a word I should lose. Anyway, no, he, but what I'm saying is I think it's more of a scientific problem of him learn, you know, like being in charge of the containment of the vaccines, not so much the medical end of it as the building a right. machine to hold it kind of thing. But I mean, he's got like the blue medical uniform. That's true, but that's also a science uniform. Yeah. So I'm not sure, but it's cool seeing him working with Jordy, but the guy himself just looks ridiculous. He's like 50 or 60 years old Yeah. and he's got either light blonde or white hair. We couldn't really decide. No. When the Blu-rays like, come uh, out, we'll be... We'll be sure. But yeah, uh, he that's looks like the first thing we'll check. <laughs> he looks like Kurt Vonnegut is what he looked like to me. <laughs> or uh, Mark Twain. A bit bit Mark Twainy, but Mark Twain will show up later and I hate him. So I didn't hate this guy. He was just goofy. <laughs> he just the first time you saw him, it was one of those moments where you just start laughing and I'm like, yep. What? Oh, I see. Look at this guy. <laughs> yeah. And it's got kind of a weird voice. I can't really do it. It's something about like this. Like we got to get that serum through. Got to get that serum. <laughs> I don't know. He, he seemed like an actor who'd been in other things and is kind of old now and like, I, I want to be on Star Trek. Okay, I here you go. I wanted to be on the Star Trek show. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that guy was uh, was delightful. Kind of sound like Meatwad. A little, little Meatwaddy. <laughs> uh, take the meat bridge. I'm not getting on that thing. <laughs> All right. And anything else? I mean... I think we've covered uh, just about uh, yeah, I think that's it. all there is. So why don't we push on to where silence has lease, which uh, I, I've mentioned this before. I know episodes by title pretty well. There's a, there's, there's a couple I don't remember. Like, uh, do you have any clue what the hell uh, the the Mark of Gideon was about? Because I just no. I cannot remember anything about that one. And uh, we watched it twice. We summarized it on this show. Like we summarized it. Times. Well, that's what I'm saying. We summarized it for our end of season video. And then we summarized it again for our book. And I still don't know which episode that was. No. But for the most part, I usually remember titles. And I could not remember this one at all. I thought the silence in it might have to do with the deaf character. But no, that's a different episode from later. That's Loud as a Whisper. Which comes in, I think, later this season. But no, where silence has least could not remember it by title. And I probably never will. But uh, not a bad episode. And let me tell you about that. Yes, do so. So our story opens with Picard looking really worried for some reason, so naturally Troy senses that he looks worried and asks him why he's worried. We never really do sort this out, since the only thing that seems to be going on right now is a holodeck fight involving Riker, Worf, and some leftover costumes from Paramount's prop closet. No, seriously, Skeletor from the awful Dolph Lundgren He-Man movie is actually in the fight. None of this has anything to do with anything, and we eventually come to the central focus of our plot, nothing. The Enterprise has literally encountered nothing. And it's not a hilarious Seinfeldian nothing either. It's just the plain old scientific nothing, which just means an absence of something. What follows is a pretty cool scientific mystery as the crew tries various ways of poking and prodding at the nothing. At one point, Worf suggests firing a torpedo at it because of course he does. Man, it really is great to have Worf where he belongs, finally. Then they run into another Romulan fake-out. Man, when are they going to get to the Romulan fireworks factory? And then another Galaxy-class ship, the USS Yamato. Picard insists on calling it the Yamato, but Riker insists that he's mistaken. Then they agree to call the whole thing off, and Riker and Worf beam over to that ship for a while. Which may not actually be there. Who knows? Anyway, I think it's all pretty interesting. Sort of a different take on tense episodes like the original series did. I bet Matt thought it was boring, though. But you know that guy, always thinking his own thoughts. Anyway, naturally you can't just have scientific curiosity out in space that isn't alive, because that wouldn't make any sense at all. Turns out they're being tested, which is a damn shame. Though the guy doing the testing, the mysterious Hava Nagilam, looks and sounds suitably creepy for my money, and he also murders the con officer. Unfortunately, Wesley had rotated out of that spot by this point, or we would have had an early contender for favorite villain of the season. 
Picard apparently spent the time between seasons brushing up on his Kirk and activates the ship's auto-destruct rather than letting the jerk being kill somewhere between a third and half of the crew. And even when they're clear of the danger, the captain waits till there's about three seconds left on the countdown before aboarding. It's nice to see the old man is finally starting to learn how an Enterprise captain gets his kicks. Oh, and this, as far as I can tell, is the first appearance of Riker putting his leg up by Data. Between the beard and this, he truly is becoming the Bill we all know and love. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually mistaken as we watched this and talked about it. You didn't hate this. I, just, no, I actually liked this episode a lot. My it's instinct was, this is too slow, you'll think this is boring. But apparently not. So, I retract. I, I regret any inconvenience this may have caused you or your family, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I do, I, I can almost guarantee I can hear... Certain people saying, oh, this is so slow, so boring. People like Flonk and Adrian who think the early seasons are just oh, well, slow and boring. But uh, when when they come on, they can correct me or agree with me or whatever they feel like doing. Again, own thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's so strange that other people think things differently than I do. I won't have it. I know. It's, it's strange. Uh, so my good thing was, uh, well, as I say, not everyone agrees with me on this kind of episode, but I think there's such a thing as good slow. This episode was slow, but I really got into it. I like science mysteries. It's also a pretty clever way to do a bottle show without actually feeling like it was a bottle show. They basically used standing sets and models that had previously appeared. And apart from the holodeck fight in the beginning, everything was already there, Mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. And they do a good job of making the Yamato look like, you know, suitably unsettling and sinister. Yeah, it's, they shoot it from different angles, they light it differently, yep. and it's just the corridors of the Enterprise and the bridge of the Enterprise, but it's done in a way where not only does it feel like a different ship, it feels sort of nightmarish, like yeah. a familiar location, but weird. Yeah, it's interesting how just by using angles we're not used to and, like, different lighting, it can, like, it looks, you know, it takes a place that we've become really used to over the last year and a bit and, you know, makes it really sinister. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important to have a, a, a sort of a consistent house style. Mm-hmm. To have a camera, you know, a style of shooting the camera so that when it's off, you can tell. Yeah. And in, in season one, the problem was they were trying different things. Sometimes it was fine. Sometimes it was weird. Sometimes we were directly up Picard's nose. Yeah, it, it just it really depended from week to week. And now that it's sort of finally settled into the way things are supposed to look, you can tell when it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Which helps. Uh, Deep Space Nine also did this to, to really good effect in uh, the Empak Nor episode where they went to a station that's the same design as their station. Yeah. But everything, like all the power was off and it was like falling apart. It's all shitty and broken. Yeah, exactly. Like like Deep Space Nine before they showed up. Yes. So it was nice to see, again, the, the dark, you know, the different angles. And, and it saves them money and it gives them the ability to, you know. My understanding is they get so much money per episode. Mm-hmm. And if you do an episode like this, you can really, like, either make up for an expensive episode previously or save up for something that's going to cost money later. Sure. Which is how you get an episode like the the upcoming The Borg episode. Because, you, you know, there's some there's some pretty hardcore stuff going on in that. And, they, you know. Borg are expensive. Yeah, exactly. Or um, that's why later on they'll do a lot of two-parters. Because then they can spread the budget for one story over two episodes. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing. Uh, my bad thing is I hated how this particular mystery turned out. Just once, could it not be a living being who's testing them? Maybe it could actually just be a weird area of space that causes strange things to happen? No? Fine. Yeah, no, I liked I, I liked the look of Nagila. Yeah, me too, and I liked his voice. He had a very sort of disturbing voice like this. I know uh, Data. Nagila. 
Data, you were yeah, that was that was great. <laughs> Where he introduces himself and then yeah, he just Data and Data knows his name, so he's like Nikilum. <laughs> what up? How's it going? But no, he had a very sort of soothing but also sinister voice. Something about like this. Hey, I'm going to kill one of your guys. I'm going to kill between a third and a half of your crew. Oh, I don't know. Maybe a third and a half. Something I'm going like to, that. Basically, I'm going to explore all the ways I can kill people. Yeah, if every possible, I'm going to suffocate that guy. I'm going to shoot that guy. I'm going to drown that one. You will be starved. You will be exploded. You'll be stabbed. You I like. I'll keep. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, I just, I don't know. I, I, I get that this is a staple of Star Trek, but that's not always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's a test. It's always a test. Sometimes could it not be a test? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I, I know, I appreciate dramatically you have to have something to fight. You have to have something, you know what I mean? You have to have an opposing thing. Sure. But I really would like to see an episode that sort of plays out what happened in the early parts, which is we don't know what this is. We're trying to figure it out. It's a mystery. You know, it starts off, like, really cool and tense and stuff, and then it's just, oh, a dude. And it does that tension thing that the original series, like I said, did so well. Mm-hmm. But rather than it being, will the Romulans fire first or will we, instead it's, are we going to get out of this thing or not? Like, you know, it's, but there's a lot of sort of edge of your seat, what happens next kind of stuff, which I like. Yeah, totally. And I think it's probably the first time this show's done that right, because they've tried a couple times and failed. Yes. But I think there's actually some legitimate tension here, which I which I think is cool. Uh, how about you? Good thing, bad thing. Uh, yeah, I also love the weird, the tense weirdness of the opening of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mystery of the Space Hole is good. I really enjoyed uh, Worf and Riker exploring the Yamato as a whole sort of haunted house thing. Yep. Um, and then when and then when everything starts going weird and Worf is looking at himself on the bri- on like another bridge. Yeah, there's because there's several exits. They one of the doors opens and basically just opens back to the door that they came through in the first place. And it's very like they're on the USS French farce. And mm-hmm. at any moment, that waiter's going to come by and drop his tray and suck it blue. Yeah, exactly. But no, it, it is unsettling, and it's it's a bit sort of an Eshery kind of uh, you know where are we? And and Worf gets a little, I'd say, too upset about it. Yeah, there is only to... one bridge. What's happening? I'm going to fight this door. Yeah. But, you know, I I get that Orf can be like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, it's weird because the episode opens with that holodeck thing that doesn't go anywhere. Yep. And I wonder if they're trying to, maybe, like, the, an earlier draft had a thing where there was, like, more, like, uh, uh, tension between Riker and Worf. I feel like that sort of, like, they were really trying to set that up mm-hmm. with the, uh, like, with the opening scene and then... Like it got sort of done away with. There's a little bit of it when they're on the uh, when they're on the Amato. Well, and my interpretation, and I don't know if this is deliberate or just me reading into it, is that Worf is now a department head, and he's you know very much as a Klingon, he's very much sort of the alpha male, yeah. and it's sort of almost his story having to come to terms with Riker's actually still in charge, and there is sort of a macho pissing contest thing going on where. Riker kind of stares him down and like, you know, you you are my subordinate. And Worf has to realize, oh, yes, I am. I guess I am. And that could have been portrayed better. And I might just be sort of, exp- you know, like filling in the details like we do sometimes. Sure. But that was my interpretation is sort of a, you know, well, I am the toughest here. Well, no, there's, no, there's me. Oh, right. Okay. Guess what? And there is a sort of a subtle competition thing going on between Riker and Worf throughout. And it becomes... Way more apparent when 
Worf starts dating Troy. Oh, yeah. But it's always kind of there. It's always sort of a macho... And it's never... We're the the two biggest guys on the ship. Yeah, exactly. And who's a tougher guy? The Klingon or the human? Yeah, but Bill's pretty uh, pretty tough, so, yep. you know, it's not as obvious as you might think. No, I, I like that. I just, I think it could have been done a little better. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about your bad thing? Uh, yeah, it ends really abruptly. Like, we got the, we've got the evil alien just deciding to let them go and then telling Picard that humanity's interesting. I mean, I guess the countdown to the Enterprise being destroyed was pretty tense, but it still decides. It st- it feels like the scary face just decided to let them go. No, you're right. As as far as dramatic goes, it was ratcheted up, ratcheted up, and then just stops. Like this is another one where I looked at the clock and it's like, oh fuck, it's over. I thought there was another ten minutes left. Yeah, it feels like there should have been another act where you know they could like, well, we're not so different, you and I, or something. Like when he lets them them go, I just assumed that it was going to be like it was another trick, you know, yep. like. Oh, yeah, you're back in the universe, except you're not. I'm still observing you. Right. Nope, that was it. like, nope, see ya. It's Don't over. the ship. <laughs> what's, what's weird is this was written by the guy who wrote Wrath of Khan. Jack B. Sowards yeah. is the guy who wrote Wrath of Khan. And it has a totally different feel to it, which I like. It does, yeah. Which, you know, I, I get the feeling he wanted to write a more straightforward science fiction thing, mm. which I think worked pretty well. But yeah, the ending is still kind of rushed. Yeah. No, I, this is one of those ones that I was enjoying the whole way through until right at the end. Yeah, then it was like, it was uh, that's same it? thing with the neutral zone. Yeah, well, and like I said, it was it was another sort of uh, Romulan cock tease. Yeah. Where very briefly you see a bird of prey, or a, a warbird, and you're like, yes! And then it's not real, and like, oh. Romulan cock tease was totally going to be the name of the eighth Trek movie if they hadn't, uh, <laughs> if uh, Nemesis hadn't have done so badly. <laughs> that would have been the 11th. Oh, whatever. All right. Uh, let's see what else we have here. There's actually not, I mean, it was, you know, because it was kind of slow and, and deliberate, there's not a lot of details to, no, to go over. most of the time on the bridge. Like, there's not really, like, a B-plot or anything. No. Which, again, I don't mind. Especially after the busyness of uh, the child. Like, there was, like, three plots in that. Right? That's true. All right. Well, let's, let's then take a minute to talk about Pulaski. She was in both of these episodes. All right. You were very clearly on the record as one, thinking she was hot when she was young. Let's never let that go. No. But two, you just plain don't like her. And I think this is one of the first things that you and I are truly at odds about. And I think, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt to, for us to talk this out. Like, what don't you like about her? I don't know. She, she rubs me the wrong way. I, I don't like the fact that, like, the first thing she does is go up against Picard. Mm-hmm. I don't like that she's a bitch to Data, which apparently changes over the course of the... Yeah, there's a nice little arc season. that we'll see by the end, by the season, near the season finale. She's actually on his side, and it's a nice sort of subtle progression. But I, Look, if she, like, evolves over the course of the, the season, you know, I'm perfectly willing to say I'm wrong. But right now, I've seen two episodes with her, and I don't like her. That's fair. I think, I, I think the real reason you don't like her is because she's kind of a jerk to people you like. That's possible. Whereas that's the reason I do like her, is because she isn't Picard's best friend slash love interest she's kind of she doesn't she doesn't always agree with him and she's not afraid to say so i mean as we said that first uh the child was originally a star trek phase two episode and they just changed bones lines to her and there's totally she's totally girl bones yeah she's older than everybody else she's a little crotchety she's kind of poking at the the science officer without emotions i mean there's a lot of bones there except with bones Bones has, like, this whole, like, long-established relationship with Kirk and Spock and everything. I expect Bones to act like this 
Yeah, she's the outsider. She did just show up, and that does feel a little... I, I get where you're coming from there. Like, where do you get off coming to this ship and being an asshole to Picard the first time you meet him? See, I I don't think she was an asshole. What, what The scene was... I don't think we actually talked about this. The scene was Picard's like, okay, we got our new medical officer. I'm going to call sick bay. And nope, she's in 10 forward. And it turns out she's there counsel, <laughs> counseling Troy mm-hmm. because Troy's useless. And, you know, she just got comment raped. But no, the, the whole like, point is she's not actually being defiant at all. She's just something came up and I'm down here, you know, helping Counselor Troy. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing is she did what she needed to do. And there's a few times where she just seems, I mean, she's a vast improvement over Beverly to me. She's so much more capable. She's She adds so much more to the dramatic dynamic she's not a hysterical mother she's not a that did get past to the end of this episode yeah and she's also not the the other thing they had beverly do a lot was when you got them around the conference room and they're discussing options beverly's always the conscience Mm -hmm. she's always like we can't kill these people and that just while it's a valid viewpoint and while you need someone there to say that you don't have to do it like that no that was always bone's role in the original series was Spock would always do the coldly logical thing and Bones would say, well, what about the human equation? You know, like that was the, yeah. that was the balance. And uh, Beverly just doesn't cut it for me. Well, she never delivered it like, you know, she was always, no, we can't do that. Won't somebody think of the children? No. Whereas Bones is just like, what are you crazy? You're going to kill like 800 people. Yeah. And, and Pulaski has a bit of that. She's also fucking with data, which I, again, this is me reading into it. I think she's doing it on purpose. I think she's, really kind of curious what this thing is and like is it is it really human let me let me keep jabbing at it until it until you know until i get a rise out of it it's it's similar to the spock thing like see i don't see that at all i see her as viewing it as like if they gave the the ship's computer like a body well she uh, she just sort of not she doesn't see him as a person no because there's a there's kind of a smirk there when she's doing it like she knows she's doing it I, th- I really think she's trying to provoke a reaction, and but I don't. I I just I don't think it even like occurs to her to teach to like treat him as anything other than just this. You thing. you may be true. Like she I say, I'm reading that into it. That's not there. Which is fine. Like we do that yeah. all the time. Yeah, but no, I want to be clear that it's not actually there, and these are our two interpretations of it. I I like her. I think again, adding strong female characters to the to the cast is important. Since mm-hmm. uh, Beverly really wasn't cutting it, Troy's not cutting it. Yara's dead. Uh-huh. You need some more chicks. You need no, some I more agree. people to agree with carry that. And I think she fits the bill, and I think Guinan fits the bill. And that's the other thing I think we should talk about is Guinan, to me, does everything Troy should be doing, but well. Mm-hmm. Wesley's got this whole crisis of conscience. Should I should I go where my mom is, or should I do what I really want to do? And she kind of helps him figure that out. And yeah. I like that. And the thing I was never clear on is... Has 10 for I mean, obviously 10 forward, the physical space has been there the whole time, but has the yeah. bar been there the whole time? I feel like, I don't know, like it was a converted canteen or something, maybe? Well, I I would imagine every ship has something like it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, every ship's got to have like a couple of cafeterias. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have replicators, but you still, the, the human tendency. <laughs> well, yes. The human tendency to want to gather and, you know, off-duty yeah. And have a drink or have a meal and just chat. I mean, that's never going to go away. Even if, you know, even if you can get the food in your in your quarters, you still want to socialize. Right. Even if you can beam the food directly into you. Yeah. Maybe. It's, it's the, yeah. Or, or, you know, have a comet just, you know, implant some food into your stomach for some reason. Sure. Like you do. Like you do. 
Um, no, I, but I really think, you know, the having, I don't know, having a place for people off duty that isn't the holodeck was a good move. Mm-hmm. It was important to show because you don't have to go on an elaborate set every week to fake the holodeck. You got the same established, you know, tables and chairs. Yeah. And there's really no need for Guinan because the replicator can just give you whatever you want. She's there to, you know, make sure everything's going okay and to be Counselor Troy. <laughs> but uh, no, I I just wonder if if she's been there the whole time and if the bar's been there the whole time or if it just suddenly appeared now. I don't know. I feel like she's probably a new addition to the crew. She feels like a new addition to the crew. Well, and they made a point at the beginning, which I like. I like it's a new season. Let's openly say we've decided to make some production changes. Let's give you story reasons why those happened. And the very first shot is a shuttle leaving the Enterprise. Like, we've dropped off new people. The uniforms, I think, have changed a bit. Like, some things are different now. And it's cool to just openly address that. And so, yeah, maybe she came on the same shuttle that Pulaski came on. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I I don't know. I like her, and I like... I'm I'm not a huge Whoopi Goldberg fan, but I think she's great in this. I think... Yeah, I'm not a big Whoopi Goldberg fan. Typically, I'm not. But in this, I think she's perfect. I think she's... She's got that great mysterious vibe. She's got that... She can help everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I like it. I I dig the vibe. I dig her. And again, another good chick that isn't a, a you know, a, a hysterical mother or someone who gets raped a lot. True. Always helpful. And, you know, you, you might as well take a dig at the hats now, because I, I know you're thinking it. She's got stupid hats. Okay. Glad we've covered that. All right. No, I like 10 Forward, and I like... Just give one to Picard to cover his bald head. <laughs> going, going, you know, forward from this point, I like that it's going to be a central location yeah. for drama. Because not everything can happen at work. Some things happen when you're off duty. Mm-hmm. And unless you have that rec room where Kirk and Spock play chess, that's, you know, that's really your only other option besides the holodeck. Yeah. And so. hanging out in people's quarters. Yeah, which is fine. <laughs> can I come to your house? <laughs> I mean, I guess... Well, I mean, Riker's always going to have somebody over, but that's that's a oh, whole yeah. other thing. <laughs> you want to watch some heart porn? <laughs> the last time, no. With you? No, I'll borrow it from you, but watching it, that's weird, man. That is some hot heart porn. What is wrong with you? Uh, any Anything else? Any further? Um, I, I, going into this, I'm not, like, I don't like, I remember not liking Guyan when I used to watch the show. Mm-hmm. And there's not a whole lot from this episode that sort of that but like she was only in one episode the thing is that's the thing she and Pulaski will both be supplemental characters they're both guest stars they will pop yeah. up from time to time but they're not a main part of the cast no but and, and uh Guinan's around for the rest of the series too. yeah but again she might only be in like she might only be in like two episodes from season four you know what I mean like she's yeah. she's not there constantly yeah but like she's I'm willing to sort of give well, I'm willing to give both of them the benefit of the doubt I just all I all I ask is that you approach them like that's the whole point of us watching these in order and not skipping ahead yeah totally is to approach them with an open mind if you still hate them that's totally fine but since we're doing a show where we talk about it i want you to explain to people why yeah. you do that's all no right now Guinan is just like i don't remember like <laughs> whereas pulaski like you know yeah I that's right i think you just don't like old people i don't like old people. i think that's a big part of it mm-hmm. and especially now that you're really confused because you found her hot I, there's that whole element of it it's a strange world, Star Trek. <laughs> it really is. It, it forces you to reevaluate your uh, your perception. Old people. Yeah. Um. Actually, uh, even even more than me, Amanda is a huge 
uh, Pulaski cheerleader. And uh, we've asked her to join us for an upcoming episode that is sort of Pulaski centric. It's like a medical themed episode where she's a big part of it. Yeah. And Amanda's going to come and basically yell at you for an hour. So look yeah, forward to that. <laughs> yeah, that was going on long before I entered the picture. Oh, yeah. So look forward to that. I think that's basically it, though. Um, yeah. These were both way, like, both of these, I would say, were way better than pretty much anything we saw in Season 1, so we're off to a good start. Yeah, no, there uh, there were flaws in both of them, but I think we're, yeah, you know. We're out of the worst them. of it. There's still yeah. going to be some terrible episodes, undoubtedly, but mm. we got a nice patch going on here for a good five seasons that it's going to be more good than bad. Yeah. Which is nice. Um. Oh, we didn't actually do your quote, so, no, uh, what, so what was your quote for the, now. yeah, for the child? Okay, my quote is a. I was, I was had to choose between. Um, there's actually a couple of good lines in this one. Uh, there's Picard admitting to Ian that he has never played with puppies. That was just sad. There is uh, the great little ribbing everyone gives Wesley on the bridge when they finally staying. And, oh yeah. Well. <laughs> but who will tuck him in at night? And Worf pipes up with, "I will do that." I will assume that duty. <laughs> Uh, but I eventually went with the, uh, the the absolutely terrible reading uh, by Troy of uh, Ian dying. You must save him. Yeah, just not good. And and again, we know Marina Sirtis is capable of so much better. Like yep. we've seen her in episodes where she's she's asked to step up, and she totally does. Mm -hmm. But this is her just living with what they gave her, and eh. oh. my baby. Not good. I actually, if if this had been my episode, I would have chosen the exchange between Pulaski and Data, where she calls him Data. Oh yeah, that was another good little. <laughs> and even if you don't like her, you got to admit it was funny mm -hmm. because they're they're really figuring out how to write Data now, and it's not just him listing things and people telling him to shut up. Yeah. There's nice little moments of him like, well, one is my name, the other yeah. is not. He gets some great reaction shots too. Like that happens through both of these episodes. Yeah. And actually, my quote is is one of those Data moments where. It's near the beginning of the episode where they're talking about uh, nothing. And they're like, well, what do you mean, Data? What, what do you mean nothing? And he says this. What do your sensors indicate? Nothing, sir. Oh. Mr. Data, you must mean that it's empty of matter. There's always some energy form at work. Sir, our sensors are showing this to be the absence of everything. It is a void without matter or energy of any kind. Yet this whole has a form, Data. It has height, width, perhaps... Perhaps not, sir. It's hardly a scientific observation, Commander. Captain, the most elementary and valuable statement in science, the beginning of wisdom is, I do not know. I do not know what that is, sir. <laughs> I just think that's great because it, it serves the story, but it's also just a uniquely data perspective on it, which, which I really like. So there's that. Um, is that everything? Have we covered... Everything we need to cover uh, yeah, this week? Yeah, I believe that's everything. All right, next week we are doing the... The the shorthand for this is the Sherlock Holmes episode and the Joe Piscopo episode. And our friend Brian will be joining us for that. Yes. So, uh, If you missed it, we did our video summary of Season 1, which is available uh, on our iTunes feed, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, just go to postomicor.com and you can get to it directly. That's yeah. the easiest way to do it. But uh, we, we got the puppets back out. It's been a while, and uh, we had a lot of fun with it, so check that out. Our book is finished, it is off to the printer, and it will be in our hot little hands shortly, and it looks fucking phenomenal. Yeah. 
I think the the best compliment I can I can give it is uh, I, before we sent it off, we had a few people look at it. We had somebody doing some copy editing. Uh, Amanda was sort of reading it for just for content to you know see if the jokes landed or if there were things we could reword. And just hearing her in the next room laughing hard a lot, you know, she doesn't. She is not one of those wives that like. Oh, if you're doing it, I like it. No, if oh, I, I write didn't something, know you did a good thing. Yeah. No, if I write something that sucks, she will say, "Wow, this this is nowhere near as good as you know some other things you've done." Like she'll be, she won't be a jerk about it, but she flat out say, "This isn't very funny," and she laughed a lot, and that is you know that is a good sign. That means we won. Test audiences really adored this book. So yes, that's good. And and in case you didn't know, it is an episode guide of of the entire original series, including the animated series and the movies, and uh, it's delightful. It'll be available soon. Pre-order that, please. Please, please do. Uh, and that's Very it. Proud of it. Yes, quite so. And that's all we got for this week. We will be back next week. Matt, say your thing. See you, folks. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.